welcome back to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast. It is me, it's CGB, one of your co-hosts, and I'm here this week with Arjuna Perkins. Say hello, Arjuna. Hey, everybody. Great to be here. The, of course, famous Arjuna Perkins, who is the founder and my uh, regular co-host of the Arena Craft Podcast. But we also have a special guest this week, and that is MTG Nerd Girl. Say hello. Hey, guys. MTG Nerd Girl and I are in uh, Vancouver, Washington, making content for CoolStuffInc.com to celebrate the Strixhaven release. So I'm here uh, at your place recording. So it's exciting. It's fun. And uh, now we get to have a special guest on the podcast. Heck yeah, I'm really glad to be here. So this week, I am playing the host role. As you guys know, I usually wouldn't. Wait, hold on. I gotta do this. You can find this podcast on <laughs> my YouTube channel, see uh, Covert Go Blue on YouTube, as well as on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all the other places that you may listen to such a podcast. You can also check us out on the Arena Podcast, arenacraftpodcast.com, and on Twitter at arenacraftpodcast. I, How'd I do? I don't know why it is your ad hoc tradition to just like put the ending of the podcast at the beginning but you've, you've done it twice in a row now and uh, I guess it's your signature I, I, you asked me to host <laughs> sometimes I just host completely backwards I mean it makes sense people usually watch the beginning and then viewers slowly fall off on things right so getting the the plugs there in the beginning is pretty next level pro mm. play I, I like next level more than complete screw up so I'll take it <laughs> But, uh, yeah, excited to kind of be the host in this one because this is going to be an episode about Limited. We're going to talk Strixhaven Limited and some of the fundamentals of why you guys should get into Limited and at least do some amount of drafting. And MTG Nurgirl, Limited Content Specialist, and Arjuna, Limited Mega Fan, for quite some time. You've done a few Limited editions of the podcast that people can check out, so... You're, you play quite a bit of Limited. You play quite a bit of Limited. I play a very, very little amount, so I'm just going to be the eye candy or, or ear candy for a little bit here and then let you guys take it away. So, uh, as usual, though, we'd like to start the show with a question from you, the amazing listeners. So, what is our lightning round question this week, Arjuna? All right, so Gabe, the guru comes in in our uh by the way we have a discord channel for the arena craft podcast you can find a link to that in the show notes or in the video description down below so go check that out if you too want to ask a question or just participate in the community so gabe the guru asks what is your guy's opinion on blocks and do you like that they are coming back with Innistrad. So I thought that this would be a good question to choose for the drafting week because blocks have such a big effect on draft format. So Nerd Girl, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. What do you think about block draft? And of course, any other block thoughts in general? Um, I I like block well enough. Um, I think I'm probably gonna be a, like of the limited players, probably more in the minority here. I actually have just been happy without them. And I think the reason for that is um, when you start to go through a block, you repeat a lot of the same mechanics. Oftentimes in like the second or the third part of a block, they'll introduce new ones, but they're so diluted because they're split across three packs, three different ones. So you're not getting like a ton of the new mechanic and you don't get to draft 
that third set in the block on its own. So you really don't get to enjoy anything that's new, but then you also have the same repeated mechanics over nine to 12 months um, over and over again, which to me feels a lot less fun. Whereas in this particular way, they have it set up where each set, you know, um, Eldraine into mutate into, you know, life gain, you're, you're jumping from mechanic to mechanic much faster in like the grand scheme of things. And I enjoy that. Yeah, I think I'm with you, actually. I noticed that when I was drafting, the sets that I consistently looked back on that I enjoyed the most, or rather the draft formats I enjoyed the most, were just like triple big set. And I found myself kind of like every time there would be, you know, a new block set introduced, I'd notice that my interest in the format waned a little bit. And I think it's basically for the reasons that you said. I really enjoy synergy in draft. It's one of the, it's one of the reasons that I like to play draft actually is because it kind of forces you on the spot to discover the synergies in the set with the cards that you've got and kind of make them work. And I just found that like, it was always kind of a bummer to have that diluted, right? With these new mechanics. And now you have like two different sets worth of stuff to try to synergize. And as much as I feel like Waltzy tried to design them with that in mind, I always just felt like there was a bit of a schism there. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of triple big set. Um, I think it's cool that they're trying it with these Innistrad sets because it's just something different and I'm all I'm always down for difference. So I'm also curious to see how they're going to implement that on Arena. Do you have any thoughts on that, CGB? Yeah, I'm going to take that middle of the road answer that people like so much. Um, it, I think it depends on the set. So if we had an Eldraine block, that would be miserable. You know, I want I want nothing to do with two sets of Eldraine. One was brutal enough, but I would have loved two sets of Kaldheim because Snow didn't get there for constructed. Yeah, so you're you're looking at that from a constructed standpoint, whereas mm-hmm. I think yep. we were thinking of it strictly from a limited perspective, right? I mean, I, I might be wrong. Maybe you were also thinking about constructed. Well, it's the limited, like the limited episode of the podcast, and I'm still in my constructed brain mode. <laughs> So without it being, like, considering it for Constructed, I actually liked the Eldraine flavor for draft a ton. I think that might have been kind of a cool one to be self-contained and expand on those uh, story-themed archetypes. But, yeah, you're right. That'd probably be absolutely miserable for Constructed because the entire set should probably just be banned. (laughs) But it wasn't that bad. Oko Unlimited is not bad. It's no Dream Trawler. Interesting. (laughs) <laughs> I, I have definitely had the distinct privilege in Limited of beating turn one Goose into turn two Oko into, what was it, turn four Wicked Wolf. It's so, really not that bad. So, yeah, after I beat that opening, I felt like I could retire from, from Eldraine Limited on my laurels there. Yeah, I think you beat the game with that one. <laughs> uh, but like you said, not that bad. Uh, yeah, just uh, from a constructed standpoint, I, I, I totally, I totally accept what you guys are saying. Unlimited, it makes sense. I would also probably enjoy a variety, you know, of uh, experiences, mechanics, yeah, synergies, yeah. Yeah, I hope I hope that they keep experimenting. You know, like I feel like every time they make a change, I'm always like, ah, cool, let's try that out. You know, so it doesn't get too stagnant. Well, uh, thanks so much for that question, Gabe the Guru. And yep, like I said before, you too can ask a question on the podcast by joining the Discord. All right, back over to you, CGB. Yeah, uh, it's great. 
here it is in my hands, the limited episode with two limited experts on the show to talk about the format. And we want to start out with saying to you, yes, you out there listening, uh, if you don't draft often, we want to give you kind of the good reasons to do it from kind of an economy perspective. You said something as we were getting ready to do the show, Arjuna, about how basically you found out that you could draft and get a good amount of the rares that you want to play constructed for free. I, I wanted you guys to expand on that and talk about the benefits of playing limited uh, for your arena account, for the economy side of the arena account. So I'll just jump in on that a little bit and then I'll hand it over to Nerd Girl. Okay, here's, here's roughly how my experience of Arena went. And I feel like a lot of players can probably relate to this. So you fire up Arena, you realize that the cards that you're given at the beginning are kind of paltry, I guess is a good way of putting it. You know, then you big brain it up and you enter some codes and maybe you buy the introductory packet. And after all of that, you you end up with like a third to maybe half of the cards to build some reasonable budget deck, like some deck you could actually play and not get laughed out of the room with, right? So I feel like they give you just enough right at the beginning that you don't have like the completely most awful deck ever. And then you kind of grind it out and you get your gold and it's just really slow going. And I feel like at no point as a new arena player did I ever have a feeling of like, I'm really in it now, man. I can, you know, I can play the decks in standard I want to play. I can try this. I can try that. And it was really rather frustrating. And I didn't really start to feel like a sense of freedom on Arena and a sense of, you know, like you're watching these streamers and you're like, oh, cool. They play a different deck every day. Look at CGB. You know, he's playing the snow deck one day and he's playing 10 Planeswalker deck the next day. And how the heck can I ever do that as a, as a random pleb just playing the game? And the answer that I found is drafting. Now, it's definitely predicated on doing some amount of well when you draft, and hopefully by the end of this episode, we'll kind of help to get you there a little bit. But this was really the way that I achieved financial liberation, as it were, on Arena. So I put in, I I bought 20k worth of gems probably over a year ago now. And I have managed to essentially go infinite with those with a little subsidy from the uh, content creator program, which I'm thankful for. But basically, I've managed to just not spend money on Arena for the last over a year, which I think that should be compelling, right? If you're someone who's like, wow, I just... I've, you know, I spend hundreds of dollars every set, or I, maybe I buy the welcome package every set, the you know, the pre-release package... Uh, and and I just never quite feel like I'm getting there, right? Uh, hopefully that should feel like, oh wow, okay, that's interesting. Like, how do I do that? And and here's the thing, like, I'm I'm good at limited, you know. Like I like I'm no I'm no stranger to getting trophies and stuff. I'm not Apex Predator, Chad, Mythic Destroyer, limited player like Nerd Girl. So, <laughs> and I still manage to do just fine. So uh, anyway, that's that's kind of my preamble on it. Nerd girl, I'd be interested to hear like your thoughts on, on the initial outlay of it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear from the apex predator. I am not an apex predator <laughs> at all. Like I'm I'm decent at limited, but the way you described uh, your gameplay, it's honestly, I would put money on you being a better limited player than me. Um, I do okay. I have a lot of recommendations. It's really interesting that you actually wanted to touch on this topic because I have done a lot of the math and research on figuring out what is the best way to uh, maximize the value on your accounts. And limited is one of the things I always recommend to my viewers, but a lot of times 
you know, I'll just throw this out there first, right out of the gate, because this is basically anytime I talk about this, all my comments, a lot of them say, well, I don't like limited. So dedicating the time to do what you are suggesting by doing a bunch of drafts to fill your collection is not worth, you know, the 50 to $100 per set for a lot of people. So, you know, we know that. So, you know, we're not trying to bully you into drafting or tell you that, you know, this value is so insane that you should be miserable for half the set. But um, it's just definitely an, an option for you guys, should you be interested in it. So sorry, I wanted to, you know, just give mm -hmm. that little. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good little point. little thing, because that's a lot of people, you know, be, they get angry with me about it. Um, so yeah, I also draft, I get a full collection on my main account and my free to play account um, by drafting. So again, not not a ton. Uh, I do recommend a free-to-play account, uh, so that way if you enjoy Limited for the sake of Limited, you can play more. Also, if you want to build your collection through Limited, a second free-to-play account gives you more daily uh, rewards to practice Limited to where then you can go and make higher rewards and prize payouts in your main to make getting a collection even cheaper. So if you're one of the people that say, I can't really do it through Draft because I'm not good enough, that's a really good way to get some free experience. And I'm going to have you just, I'm going to like have you kind of dangle a carrot for the viewers. How many packs do you, would you say you have on oh. that account? You, you showed me this. So yeah, my free to play account, we, I don't open my packs because I don't need them as a limited player. So I open them like every Friday. Um, you know, I'll open some from one of the accounts. I'll open like 50 every Friday, but I think my free to play account is sitting on like something 200 plus ish unopened packs for no reason at all. And most of those I have a complete collection on the free to play for it. So I don't even need them. Yeah. So I, I love the way that Arjuna phrase like arena financial freedom. I feel like that could be its own like video or tag, but it's, it's real. You know, you have done that on a free to play account. You have all those packs and you don't even need to open them, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah, and then, you know, I see people like Saffron Olive, um, you know, and I'm sure you as well, CGB, uh, maybe you disclose the numbers, but maybe you don't, right? But a lot of content creators are saying they sink $300 plus per set. And of course, it's important for, you know, constructed masterminds to be getting their hands on the cards immediately so you don't necessarily have the luxury of having the time to draft the whole set. But, you know, I think that that's kind of on the other end of the spectrum, right? Like where if you if you just want to have all of the cards out of the gate, you're looking to invest certainly hundreds of dollars, right? Yeah, I would say it would be weird on a set release if I probably didn't spend $200 to get most of the cards for the first week to start recording with them. But uh, it it has definitely helped a little that... And this is what I say to anybody out there who says, I really don't like drafting. That, that's that been me for years. But I found somebody who really likes drafting, and we've been making content together, and that's what's gotten me into drafting. MTG Nerd Girl has, like, on Thursday nights, we do a draft together, and we just kind of co-pilot and talk through it. I find that really fun in a way that I never found drafting fun before. So if you're out there and you can, like, jump on a Discord or a Zoom call with somebody who loves drafting, it can really help. And because of that... Uh, I'm getting a lot more gems. Uh, yeah. yeah. So see, I, I noticed I went on CGB's stream one time and I was like, why do you have unused tokens? He's like, I don't know. I get them every, you know, every set release with the pre-orders. Yeah, tokens he, for uh, seals and draft entries yeah, that had, like, I never use. Five seals and 15 drafts or something. And I was like, wow. what are you? I, I was like, okay. 
every Thursday, come onto my stream and we're going to, we're going to use these. And our win rate's like 80% or something together. Um, yeah. So, you know, we get, you know, between 1600-ish gems per, per one of those. And he would have just drafted them and then conceded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I used to use those draft tokens to tilt Arjuna by coming on the show and letting him know oh about my, my God. hot draft strategy, which is you always <laughs> pick the top left and then you resign. It's so painful. <laughs> it's so painful. But but she she fixed me. Now now we well, we dra I draft like a civilized magician. Well, if I wasn't there, you'd probably still go back to your savage ways. <laughs> probably, you know. Honestly, though, I would probably call up like a buddy that I have at home. Uh, he goes by Cool Jets Online. His name's Josiah. He he loves to draft. I would probably draft Dude. with him now because you I didn't know how fun this could be. I call up Arjuna. Dude, my my, my buddy Arjuna cool, would draft with me. Cool Jets is sick, man. I didn't know that you know him. That's great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're uh, we're friends from like way back. We started playing together like as babies, baby magicians. Aww. Heck yeah, dude. Yeah, mm -hmm. shout out for Cool Jets. Go check out his stream. He also streams Star Realms, which is like one of my favorite non magic card games. So and just like probably some of the best music you'll hear on a stream too. So definitely check him out. Uh, awesome. Okay, so we've we've gone a little bit into that. Um, I just wanted to talk. Like we'll we'll get to the you know drafting and how to draft portion in a moment, but I just wanted to give you an example of what you can expect from a draft. So, uh, so let's say for example that you have 10k gold and you spend it on a draft, right? I think that the average person thinks, well, I could open 10 packs, right, and that would give me 10 either rares, mythics, or wild cards plus my little wild card wheel filling up as well. So you know, on average, you get it's what like one and Two thirds of a of a rare wild card from opening ten packs. So the so the argument is if I'm getting like eleven ish rares for each entry, why would I like enter a draft where you know we only open like three packs each, and you know I'm not guaranteed to be getting my eleven rares and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And what I wanted to point out is that. First of all, if you are focused on rare drafting, then you actually get uh, 24 shots at getting a rare in, in a draft, right? There's 24 packs opened. Each one of those has a rare. In Strixhaven, each one of them actually might have two rares. So that's an additional reason to draft this set specifically. Um, so if, if you are just focused on getting your money's worth and making sure that you're filling your collection, you can rare draft. It's not guaranteed, but people do often just wheel around random mythics and stuff because that just don't fit well in their, in their deck, right? So you can easily, you know, there have been times when I've rare drafted and I've easily just met my entry fee just by rare drafting, right? I picked up two mythics, you know, eight rares, etc. And it was just like well worth my money. But then in addition, you know, in addition to that stuff that you're getting from the actual draft, you also then have a shot to earn extra packs and extra gems. And so when you add all of that value together, like even if you're a 50-50 player and you go three and three, that's what, a thousand gems? Am I right about that in best of one? Yeah, so I've actually done the math on it. Mm -hmm. uh, I wish I would have known we were going to go in so in depth because I have a spreadsheet with all those oh, numbers heck yeah. that I could I could potentially pull up for you. But on Quick Draft, if you go zero wins, you're getting a fifty gem discount per pack. 
um, if you if you're buying gems, which wow. you know you could say that a thousand gold is equal to two hundred gems for the pack thing there. Now, if you're going 50-50, which you are suggesting, you are getting 50% off your gems in Premier Draft, 50% off your packs. So then even though you're missing some of those wheel pips, um, and that includes the prizes, the packs and the prize support, right? And then after you subtract your gems that you won. Um, so quick draft, great for new players. You don't have a timer. Um, even if you go zero wins, you're getting a 50 gem discount per pack, um, which is, you know, sizable. So then you can, after doing a few of those, you could just purchase a few extra packs that kind of mitigates it. But if you get lucky and you spike three to four wins, if you're, you know, like I said, uh, not the most experienced limited player, then you're just increasing that average on how much you're getting a discount per pack. Um, you mentioned the wheel pip. When you uh, open packs, you get uh, a little bit more rares that way. It's also important to note that the packs you open in draft or sealed, you're getting 15 cards instead of um, the eight. Mm, so yeah, you fill up your common and uncommon collection much more. Also, that uh, extra common and uncommons that you're getting from the drafting, you fill up your vault value, which will also give you rares to, again, try to mitigate some of that extra value as well. That's awesome. I, I love that because I just like, I just want people to understand how much you actually do stand to gain by doing it, right? Even if you're a, like a, a cynical economist like CGB. Uh, there are still reasons to kind of get in and give it a try and and here's another thing too is that if you don't if you're not one of these people who drafts all the time then you might just be like at the very bottom of bronze every single season and I've found like one of the easiest ways to just pick up some packs is to just draft in bronze you know like because I mean let's face it like people in bronze are just they're not the they're not the apex chad drafters right so sometimes you get some some pretty soft competition down there and there's nothing wrong with just you know drafting up through bronze silver and you know just stopping when you feel like oh wow I've, I've kind of met my threshold and then just going back to constructed you know so it it can really be that simple right you just you draft for a week you kind of get up to where you're feeling like, okay, these, this isn't easy anymore. I'm not having fun anymore. And then you just move on. I'm going to butt in quickly to say I'm going to add cynical economist to my Twitter bio. <laughs> I think that that's perfect. And second, uh, really proud of that 80% win rate in bronze. Uh, it does pay off quite a bit. We've, we've got to silver a few times. Um, so to touch on lightly what you were saying about how, you know, stay in the lower ranks, draft for a week or two, and then wait until the format resets. That's a really great way to keep your win rate high if you're trying to build a collection uh, over the life of a set. Um, but another thing is actually Quick Draft, as opposed to Premier Draft, mm -hmm. has a much better uh, pack discount rate for the first zero to three wins. Once you go uh, higher than three, then you're getting a better discount rate in the Premier Draft. But if you feel like you are a more inexperienced player, uh, stay in the Quick Draft, so you get a better discount. Plus, there's no timer on the cards, so you can like screenshot it, share it with your friends, ask what the pick is. You can leave, you could do some research, you could look up... Uh, set review articles for limited and, you know, make each pick accordingly. Also, that's typically where the free-to-play players are, which, um, you know, they don't get as much practice drafting and they draft far less because they're free-to-play players. Um, so it's easier to get wins there as well. And uh, it's rotating sets. So if you jump into an older set, like we just did Eldraine a week ago, and uh, a lot of players who are just coming to Arena haven't had any experience with that set. So if you have, uh, you can jump back in and, and most of the people playing it are not the regular 
ladder grinders, so you'll be playing against much weaker players in general. I'm also going to poke you and make you plug where they can find your set reviews and ratings. So you guys can find my set reviews uh, on YouTube and on Cool Stuff Inc., uh, one of our mutual sponsors, and they're also on the untapped.gg overlays. Heck yeah. So if you guys, if you guys check those out, it like actually pops up the ratings on your arena client, and it'll show you a rating one to five, and then it will, um, if you hover over the card, it will show you, uh, you know, two to three sentences about how I feel the card will perform for you. But there's a lot of other creators that do limited set reviews too, uh, including LSV, you guys could find, there's a ton. Mm -hmm. That's awesome, yep. And another resource, which has become a little controversial lately because of how heavily some people rely on it, is uh, 17 Lands. That is another tracker slash software that you can install on your computer, which will give you just probably more information than you ever wanted to know about your own draft. And just, you know, you can consult their site. They have like statistics on everything. It's it's kind of insane, really. You could easily just go to 17 lands, pull up Strixhaven and just kind of skim through like the most popular commons and uncommons. And then right there, you're ahead of the game. You know, like boom, pack one, pick one. You're like, oh, that uncommon is one of the best uncommons in the set. Really high win rate. Just slam it and go into those colors and let's go. So yeah, a lot of, lot of resources to help you out. Um, okay, so Nerd Girl, I wanted to pivot into talking about some limited basics so that when people actually get into draft, they're not just like immediately getting rolled. Because I know that like the first time I sat down to do a draft ever, I was coming back to the game and um, it was just like I didn't want to buy into a deck and so I just went to a draft. And I, and I had that experience, which I think a lot of people have, which is like, you, you know, pack one, pick one. And it's, you know, you feel like you're reading clay tablets or something and you're just like, oh my God, what the hell am I doing? I have no idea. It's so much information and there's like a timer and it's really stressful. So I wonder if uh, you could take us through some really, some of the foundational concepts of limited to help people who are starting out. Uh, yeah, I mean, some prep to begin with is always really helpful. So if you take a look at one of the set reviews we were talking about before and read the ratings on all of the cards. I mean, I know a lot of people don't have that much time to dedicate. So yeah, if you have an opportunity to get that sort of preparation, it'll definitely help you draft a much higher quality deck. Any prep that you can do beforehand is great. Um, if you can get some practice on Arena, like you were saying, there's a timer and you, know, you are feeling like you have to read all these cards, which takes way more time if you don't have any experience with the set. So doing those quick drafts gives you all the time in the world mm. to consult friends, discords, or just like really take a chance to look at the layout of your deck that you don't have the opportunity to do in paper and then assess, uh, you know, assess the situation accordingly and, and draft that way. I think it will really improve your overall draft quality. Um, to go towards what you were saying, I've been playing Magic for 21 years and I took a very, very long break from casual gameplay. I was a full-time poker player for many years. Came back to the game around M12 and drafted a, a deck. And this was one of my first times in many years playing with not just like a homebrew of cards I happened to own. So, you know, very not casual. And I found that deck a year or two later after I started playing competitive and like cashing GPs and I was sorting through some cards and I'm like, what the heck is this bulk of cards? And my friend was like, that was your first draft. And I was like, 
wow, this is really awful. Like, <laughs> how, how did I even, like, keep playing Magic? It was so bad. But um, it definitely can be avoided if you have a little bit of knowledge. Um, I know a lot of content creators have, um, you know, just Google Sheets with information on a lot of the cards. Mm-hmm. Um, Friend of the cast, Deathsea, and another, mm-hmm. like, uh, somebody else who's cool stuff being sponsored now does a tier list mm-hmm. spreadsheet that's free to everybody as far as the time that we're recording this, as far as I know. Uh, my Discord, I have a Discord channel that's only dedicated to pictures of Seven Wind decks. So you can scroll to a specific set, and then you can check out which decks for me personally were, were performing very well. So that might give you an idea which cards to keep an eye out for. Um, yeah. I think that also... Uh, str- it, it sounds kind of it like it should be obvious to us, but we always forget to say it. Uh, streamers, uh, you can log on to Twitch TV and usually find somebody streaming uh, draft and talking about what they're picking and why playing something on Arena that you are will probably be able to pick up and play as well. And that just really helps a lot to feeling like you're not alone. You know, there all these resources kind of help you not feel like you're going in completely empty-handed. Yeah, another thing I always recommend too, like if you don't have enough time to watch a streamer do the whole shebang, one of the things that's really cool is I know there's a lot of streamers, myself included, that post uh, drafts online. Mm. Now, let's say you're a, uh, an experienced constructed player, you don't really need to be told how to play your cards. Um, mm. But watching the first 15 minutes of the draft video and going through the drafting process with the streamer as they talk out loud and, and give you all of their decision trees is really helpful. You do that a couple of times for the start of a set and, you know, that's a lot of free hands-on experience that you don't have to pay for. Like, you know, you don't pay for that draft to suck at it and learn from. You can just learn from from them. Yeah, that's, that's a really great point. And I actually like the constructed parallel because when you're drafting, you're really... Ideally, what you're doing is you're making a constructed deck on the fly with a very limited collection of cards, right? So so I think that sometimes people get a little bit intimidated by the thought of building a draft deck because it's like, what do I pick when and where and when do I commit and all of that kind of stuff. And I mean, that's part of the fun of draft. If it were really easy all the time, it wouldn't be as fun. So there's always going to be some amount of that. But I think that one of the things that you should be aiming to do is to to model your, the decks that you're building after constructed decks. So here's an example. Like let's say that the draft is going along, and like you pick up a sweet, um, you pick up a sweet rare, right? What's the uh, the the two two for two that's seeing play in, even in constructed? The white creature that pumps the team with Magecraft. Leonin are. Yeah. Uh, no, Lightscribe. Lightscribe, right? right? Leon and Lightscribe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Thanks, CGB. I'm I'm terrible with the names for this set. I know the art and I know what they do. Right? Never <laughs> exactly. Know names. So so this is a great example. So pack one, pick one, you see that, and you're like, that's my rare, it's a pretty sweet card. You pick it, all right? So boom, already you can be thinking, okay, well I ran into this in uh, you know, on the ladder. And what were they playing? Well, they were playing a bunch of two-drop creatures, so I'm going to try to pick up as many white two-drops as I can. Um, oh, I saw this Boros version. Cool. Like, let's... let's And well, I guess it's a Lawhold, right? So Lawhold is a supported color set um, in, in, this, in this current set, right? Or um, you can also do the Ozob one. 
how do I? I'm, I'm so silver quill. Silver quill. Okay, right. So you. So already, it, it's kind of pushing you in the direction, right? So I'm. I'm. I'm kind of prioritizing taking cheap creatures. I need a lot of creatures. I also need combat tricks because that's what trips it up and gets the whole thing going. And you know that one mana learn combat trick is really good and constructed. And guess what? It's really good in that deck and limited, right? So it it doesn't have to be as difficult as it seems if you just try to kind of follow the proven formulas right cheap removal good and constructed good and limited um aggressively statted creatures good in both formats you know you want you notice the mono red deck only runs like four creatures that are or even three creatures that cost four because they're tor brands because they're kind of like your bomb but the rest of the deck is cheap right etc etc so that that can really help you guide your picks in the draft. I'm I'm curious, CGB, like as a constructed player who's been playing more limited, like do you find that your experience in constructed helps in your drafting? Do you find yourself following a process like that when you're drafting? If I can, it, it it's more comfortable. I, I can tell it's a lot more comfortable when I can look to grab uh, Behold the Multiverse and Doomscar and try to play a control deck because it feels like very familiar to me. Uh, but I also found that you have to be a lot more flexible, I think, to get the ideal draft deck because it's going to be a long ways away from the standard comfort zone. So if you're like me and you play a lot of the rare cards and you craft a lot of the rare cards and you're used to playing that power level, you have to adjust your mind a little bit to what's more, what's just better in draft when you can't lean on those crutch cards and those crutch play patterns that you're used to. So it really helps to have somebody kind of walking me through it and poking me when I'm trying to play blue-white control and I need actual win cons in my deck uh, like Nerd Girl does. <laughs> well, you know, creatures. I think that's that's always a funny transition when... You're a control player building a control deck and limited, and you still need to have like eight creatures in your deck, right? Oh, yeah. I, there was a card. This is going to really date me, but I always, uh, there was this gargoyle and back in alliances that I always wanted to draft because whenever it died, it went on top of your library, like a 2 2 flyer for five. And I would just always draft that enough and just only removal and card draw and just <laughs> beat them with that one card. That does, it doesn't really work that way anymore. Yep. No, indeed. We're going to move on to Strixhaven proper in just a moment here, but I just wanted to remind people a great way to approach limited is the cabs theory. And uh, I learned this first on limited resources, which is, you know, probably the longest running and most successful magic limited podcast, just magic podcast in general out there. So a great resource for limited, but it's just cards that affect the board strategy and the the rough outline of that is bombs so we all know what a bomb is that's like gold span dragon right or in this set professor onyx immediate bomb just you know pack one pick one windmill slam them and then try to be in that color uh and then the second one is depending on the set but you can't go wrong with either is really good removal and really solid creatures and again, you know, um, creatures that see play in standard are a great place to start. There are a lot of common and uncommon ones that are pretty much always going to be good, with rare exception. And then also just well-statted creatures, three threes for three, four fours for four. So that's the core of your deck, really, is any bombs you could pick up, solid creatures, solid removal, and then just a sprinkling of other interaction and, and other things. And that's just a really solid way to approach, like, level one drafting. 
I think when you get more used to drafting, you can start branching out and making fancier decks that maybe play more spells and less creatures and stuff like that. If you're really uncomfortable with drafting, that's just... It's, it's never going to steer you too wrong to have a deck full of just solid creatures, some top end, and a couple of really good interactive spells. Cool. Um, any last thoughts, Nerd Girl, before we dive into Strixhaven? No, not too much. Uh, just to, I guess, quickly touch on what you were saying about, like, uh, you know, if you are uncomfortable with drafting, a couple of little quick tips is don't be afraid of one or two expensive cards. Uh, a lot of uh, constructed players might think, oh, a six drop, that we can't play this. A lot of decks can't support things like that in constructed, but in limited, one or two of them won't kill you. You want a nice curve to your deck. Try not to play things that are too low impactful. I uh, typically don't consider one drops to be part of my curve, and I'm pretty happy for my curve to start on two. So, and you want, a, you know, a nice little bell curve. That's it. Solid credence to don't play one drops in limited unless you know they're really good like the battle the battle hawk or whatever from the last set Kaldheim was really good battlefield raptor there you go yeah so that was an example of a highly playable one drop but usually they tend to not be unlimited so i really like that tip a lot okay cool so let's transition over into strixhaven so one of the nice things about playing strixhaven is that uh, the last time we saw a set that was like this was the ravnica blocks where it was just really localized to these two color pairs and one of the nice things about that is it it's almost puts your draft on rails usually you figure out pretty quick which is the two color pair that's open in your seat hopefully unless the draft is really going weird and then usually you just try to pick the best cards in that pair. So it's actually a great reason to come into playing limited in this set because you have nice dual lands, um, you have a lot of dual colored cards, you have uh, cards that have the you know split mana symbols. Highly recommend jumping into the draft and just looking out for which college is the most open. And usually if you just kind of pick a sampling of the cards from the set, a nice variety. It should end up building you kind of a pre-assembled draft deck that works pretty well. The themes work with each other. That's a really great place to start. But I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts so far, Nerd Girl, on, and CGB, of course, what's really good? What's, what's kind of like the ground zero in this set so far? So I've only played a little bit. CGB came like a day or two after the set released. We didn't mm -hmm. get the streamer event, so I didn't get a ton of hands-on experience there. We did three uh, paper seals on our stream for our co-op since he's been here. And those were really fun, but like, I don't feel like I have a really good ground for like what is good and what isn't. I mean, there's definitely a couple of cards that are over or underperformed for me, I'm sure, based on like what my initial set reviews were. But uh, all of the schools feel pretty good. I think Witherbloom maybe is a little bit more synergistic. Um, just to touch slightly on what you were saying about how your deck is kind of on rails. Um, the one thing I will say to that is if you are considering starting to pick, to pick up draft in this format, is make sure you know what your color pairs are. Because the uh, set that's actually very reasonable to have three color decks. There's two different land cycles um, with you know, so common and rare lands that are duels. So it lets you jump into a sister school very easily. There's a land that produces mana of any color and there are treasure tokens in this format. So let's say you decide that you're Witherbloom. You wanna know what your sister school is for black and for green, cause that makes it possibly easier for you to splash 
uh, so you can pick up those dual lands later in that common slot. So uh, you definitely want to have a little bit more information going into this. You are right that, you know, it's kind of on rails, so the cards that are good for you is very easy to see, but it is kind of a more advanced format when it comes to actually the power and synergy of the cards themselves. That's yeah. a really good point. Yeah, I, I found that a lot of the pools, even though we were doing it with the pre with the pre-release packs, yeah. which does try to put you on rails because you get this booster that's just these cards from this college that preceded pack. Yeah, and we still very often you went completely out into other colors at one point uh, to to a lot of success. Like you did really well in that battle, and I splashed a teamer a lot. Like when I played Quandrix because there were just some red cards that needed it. So yeah, that I, that's a really good point. Yeah, I would say from my experience of playing the set so far, I've personally found the Tima schools to be colleges to be kind of the most flexible and perhaps the most powerful in my experience. So that's, you know, of course, Quandrix and Prismari, blue-green, blue-red. Um, they, they synergize very, very nicely with each other because so on the Quandrix side, you have a lot of ramp. This is like, it's one of the most rampy formats actually I've seen in Limited in a long time, where so many of the cards at common and uncommon in uh, Quandrix really are putting more lands onto the battlefield. And then they're giving you these seven and eight mana sorceries and, and a few massive creatures to slam down. So I found that, you know, oftentimes like you, you get a little bit of ramp from the Quandrix and then you get some top end from Prismari that can be a really nice way to just lock up a game. So they, they tend to play really nicely together. I have found that in the Madu pairings, um, it's not that I don't think those decks can be good, but the ones that I've seen succeed and really pull ahead and feel like, whoa, like that deck was really good, tend to feature a little bit more rares, or maybe people picked up some more synergistic uncommons to pull them together. Um, but having said that, I, I do think that any any color pair slash three color pairing does seem very doable. I will say that this is definitely not, despite the fact that there's really good fixing in the set, this is not one of those like all over the place, like totally off the rails sets like Kaldheim was. So if you're coming from Kaldheim, like that, that was just like a rainbow explosion of a set. And this is definitely not. I think that, yeah, really what, what the two of you are saying is correct. Like, you want to be playing two to three colors in this format pretty much exclusively, I would say, unless you're a real wizard and you know what you're doing. Um, another thing that is really helps with splashing is playing environmental, what is it, environmental sciences. This is a really, really important card in this set. Um, so this is a lesson out of the sideboard. And this is just a card that it's colorless and it helps you basically with any splashing that you would want to do. So this is, you know, a lot of content creators have been saying this and I found it to be true that that's a very, very important lesson to pick up in the draft if you can. Uh, I'd, I'd like to hear, so Nerd Girl, like, I, I've been finding that the lesson and the learn mechanic are really, really crucial to this format. Would you say that that's the case in your experience? Yeah, I actually thought they would be pretty powerful and I'm finding that when I've got good lesson and learns, I it's more powerful than I thought. Like, I feel like I'm just running away with the game. Um, 
I kind of, the way I like to explain it, similar to, what was this, the first set with modal cards where it was a land on the backside? That was Battle for Zendikar? Battle for Zendikar, yeah. So, like, the card, the spell side of it oh. might be weak. Hold on, they're going to leave comments. Zendikar, Zendikar Rising. Zendikar yeah. Rising. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, it, there's already 10 comments. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. Hi, guys. Got it. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, the backside is not necessarily strong enough to justify playing it in your deck. It's pretty bad for the mana cost. It's not something you would typically run, but it's kind of free because if you draw it late in the game, it's way better than a forest, right? So you're getting this a ton of added value to your deck without having any additional cost, even though that card doesn't justify its own cardboard cost. But the lesson feels very, very similar. A lot of the learn spells are worth their own weight in gold. So then you're just getting this really nice added bonus. And it's not that you just have the one, it's that you have four or five that all fill a different need and allow you to be very choosy on which you take when, which again adds extra value to that card. Because you're not top decking a seven drop uh, lesson when you don't need it or you need a land or whatever, you're just taking the fixing, the filler, the removal, then you can get your bomb later. So you're not only drawing extra value where you shouldn't have, you're also drawing them when you need them, which is great. Totally, totally. And one of the things that I've noticed as well is that I think it's really important to have at least one creature lesson in your back pocket if you if you can try to pick one of those up. The creature lessons are amazing. Right? Yeah, talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, I feel like a million bucks every time I get like the 4-4 four, four, uh, is it one. Now oh, I will, so good. but most of them are dual color and I'll play them in either school. You don't need to be in that specific school, so I will play... The, I believe it's called Elemental Summoning. Yeah, something. Summoning okay. something. Yeah, that sounds mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. So I will play that if I'm just in the blue or if I'm just in the red. It doesn't really matter. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to have two to three creature lessons in, in every single deck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, From I, a centered... Oh, sorry. I, I'll just say this and I'll pass it over to you, CGB. Mm -hmm. um, I find that like people should just be picking those higher. Like I think people are maybe picking them at the level of like C plus really good playable. And I pick them at like kind of like good uncommon category of prioritization. Cause just like it, like the first one is so strong, right? Like it's just, you can get it almost every game. It's almost like having a companion anyway. Okay. Over to you CGB. I, I was just going to also add just the way that the lesson spells just happen to be spells. They allow cards to play uh, with your other synergies that might not otherwise. So if you have a creature that learns, it goes and gets a spell, and a spell triggers Magecraft, and Magecraft is all over the place. So I was always really happy when I fetched the Fractal summoning one, that the, the one that is uh, in Simic and makes an XX Fractal for how much you put into it. A lot of times I was triggering Magecraft with it, and I was getting another body, like a huge body, so that was a payoff. In Witherbloom, there are multiple lessons that gain life, and there's a lot of payoffs for life gain. So there's also like sweet synergies weaved into the lessons as well. Yeah, it's really cool how you can have these turns where you cast a learn card into a lesson card, and they seem to have thought about the curve, right? So you have like a lot of like two mana lessons into three mana. Um, uh, sorry, two mana learn spells into three mana lessons, and that's just kind of like a nice little thing that you can do on turn five is often a good turn to do that. Um, or, you know, 
like do do one of them early in the game so that you can get like a turn five elemental down and yeah some of those creatures are thick you know like i've had decks where the largest creatures in my decks were those like the prismari and the quandrix uh lessons so yeah those are those are really good let's talk about some of the best lesson cards that people should be looking out for and again i i apologize i'm just not going to get the names for a lot of these but uh, some of my favorite ones in the... So Quandrix and Prismari have access to this blue instant one and a blue target creature gets minus four, minus zero, and then you learn. And um, that's just like... People will have played that as a combat trick anyway in a lot of formats. You know, sometimes they'll give you like a little bonus, like a, you'll get a clue out of it, or you'll get a scry or something like that. And uh, this one is like every bit as good as any of those have been. So that's a really good one. Um, I also really like the red, the one that's uh, it's a three drop instant. It gives your creature plus three plus one and trample and learn. Like that, that one's very good. That cards are the best beating. one is is the red ignite igniting. It's just th- a sorcery speed three damage learn. That thing is nuts. Oh, I've not been fortunate enough to pick one of those up. So good. <laughs> yeah, what are some of the ones you've been enjoying, Nerd Girl? Uh, I mean, definitely that removal spell and the trample uh, one you were talking about is like two of my favorite uh, because they they pull their own weight and then you get that added value, which you kind of uh, in need for some of the lessons because they oftentimes give your opponent a card back or whatever. So you can't really just throw away a learn spell that gives you no value. Otherwise, it doesn't justify the lesson. But I do think those two are... The red one's a, a gimme. That's just... That one's so insane. Um, mm-hmm. But there is also... Um, I'm trying to think. I, like I said, I haven't played all that much of it. Um, isn't there a um, a ramp spell that also learns? Yeah. That gets only a forest? That thing is pretty darn good, too. doesn't fix, but, like, you know, you can't have it all, so... It can get you fixing, though, so that's cool. It can't get your fixing, though, because it costs green and it only gets forest. Well, but I, I was just making reference to the environmental oh, yeah, yes. science. To the lesson right? itself. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I, I've, I've stooped to that before, for sure. That'll get you to your bookworm. There you, you know? go. That, that, card's, that card looks nice if you can get to eight mana and use it. That card is brutal. I consistently, like, I can't remember a game in which my opponent resolved it and that I won. So, yeah, that card's great. Uh, also, any of the rare learn cards, like um, the Quill, right? The uh, the the what is it, Professor's Quill or something? Poet Poet's, Poet's Quill, Quill. Uh, had some good times with that recently. She's she's shaking her head. She didn't did enjoy not it. have good times with that. He drew it every game. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Literal every game. Uh, that card is a beating, man. So good. And uh, the gnarly Professor. That's another. That card is really gnarly and limited, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that thing is is worth its weight in gold and a little bit more, and then you get an added piece of cardboard just for free. Um, the only lesson we didn't talk about is the crazy mythic one that gives you all of the bodies. Definitely draft that, guys. Oh yeah, that's. I think that that might be like one of the highest picks in the set, right? Like mascot exhibition. Mm-hmm. I opened that my first sealed pool, and it was nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just. Oh, it's just. It's like the companion thing, y'all. It's like. 
how good does a card need to be if you can just yoink it? And okay, you can't just get it anytime you want, but if you're building any amount of learn into your deck, you can reasonably expect to get it every game. And just, I mean, think about how good that is, right? It's, it, it's the reason why people might actually debate whether to first pick a card like that instead of like another just obvious bomb like a Professor Onyx, right? Because clearly, if you got to if the if Onyx was the lesson, then you'd probably nab that one every time. But just the the consistency of it means that it might actually be correct to pick the mascot exhibition over an Onyx pack one pick one. Mm-hmm. I so uh, we've been talking about the lessons a bit. I wanted to ask you guys uh, a question, and this kind of it, it does use the lessons in a direction, but. Uh, the bi- one of the big questions I had figuring out my decks was looking at Magecraft and wanting to make sure that I could trigger Magecraft pretty often on my cards. And the lessons do help with that. There's also a lot of spells that are also creatures. And I found myself wanting to stray very often away from like the 15 creatures that we'd normally want to run because I wanted Magecraft more often. And I never seemed to have a lack of spells to choose from because there were so many in the set does that affect uh, is that different in Strixhaven versus like other sets or would you guys play more spells less spells I'm sure it depends on the deck but any general pointers on that what do you think that go so I think this set is very very conducive to very low creature decks not only because of the magecraft to where you're getting really good powerful triggers um, oftentimes that are you know worth not having a body, they might draw you into more creatures, making, you know, having less creatures fine. Uh, Also, a lot of the spells just are creatures. I would just include those in my creature count. Every single learn spell becomes a creature when you have, like, the uh, elemental summoning in in the sideboard. So, I mean, I would count all of those as creatures. So it would not be surprising to me if you go into a lot of drafts with, like, eight or sometimes even less creatures. Wow. Yeah, that's very different. Assuming that you have, you know, those creature lessons or something to back it up, there is um, a little bit of recursion, but not a ton. Those always kind of count as partial creatures for me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are even just like main deck cards, which also give you creatures like uh, the Prismari 7-drop that makes two 4-4 four, four elementals. That card's a beating. Like... Yeah, that definitely counts as a creature. Yeah, like that. That I I frequently have games where I'm doing just fine. I'm keeping up. I'm interacting, and then my opponent resolves one of those, and I'm just like, I I can't keep up anymore. You know, you just added two four fours to the board. So you know, and that's those are only uncommon, right? So you see those fairly often. So yeah, there's there's a decent amount of that going around, and I agree. Like I I take those cards pretty highly because of that. Um, I definitely do want to note that in general, this this feels like a bit more of a grindy format. It's not that there can't be good aggressive decks. Um, I just got, I think I got to six wins. I couldn't clinch it, but I got to six wins with like a Mardu based hyper aggressive deck that was just like, you know, like 40% combat tricks, 60%, you know, magecraft aggressive creatures. So you can definitely do that in this format, but I think that the majority of games are going to come down a little bit more to who drew more of their learn cards, who had better lessons in the sideboard, um, who came teched to really like maximize their mana and maximize their card advantage at every point in the game. 
So he draws I would, all of their rares every game. Hey, hey, <laughs> for the podcast crowd, I'm getting an elbow slammed into my shoulder. <laughs> you know, better lucky than good, right? So I, I think that that's, that's something that you should really be thinking about in this set is even if you are playing an aggressive deck, just be thinking about how am I getting advantage? And oftentimes that's like a good learn combat trick that pulls a creature out of the board. That's an excellent way to get some card advantage. Um, graveyard recursion stuff like Lawhold Excavation, really good way to just ensure that your cards are still working for you in the mid to late game, even after they've died. I can't tell you how many times I have domed my opponent for lethal with with the Lawhold Excavation. Like sometimes that card just doing three or four damage over the course of the late game is just enough to get you there. So I'm a huge fan of that card in particular. Are there any other top level thoughts that either of you have on this particular format? I think you're gonna have to revisit with me in like two weeks. I there don't think go. I've played enough to have any like true deep insight. I like I said I've got we did three seals. Mm -hmm. I think I did two drafts and two seals before we got here, so pretty pretty minimal. Uh, but to be real, like just listening to you guys talk and being here in this conversation, I want to go back and rebuild all the pools I did already. Like I already think I could rebuild a few things better uh, just from kind of talking about like the spell count, especially like I think I felt tethered to having a ton of creatures because that's what you always want to do. And uh, I would probably pay a lot more attention to all the ways to use the lessons. You did something cool. You had multicolor lands in your deck so that you could cast off-color lessons sometimes. Yeah, so CGB was freaking out. He was like, what are you splashing? Like, why are you playing this, like, comes into play, tapped, and freaking steals out. another land? Freaking out, I was pretty, thinking about pretty it. Pretty terrible. <laughs> um, and he's like, what kind of splash card are you going to find? But I had, like, two off-color lessons that, you know, probably wouldn't... I had the, the blue rare one that lets you draw cards if your opponent has more cards, and that's only nice. one blue. So mm. it just... It gave me the option to get those if they ever suited my needs. So look out for things like that. But um, yeah, I mean, I would definitely consider running that, especially if you have treasure tokens. Keep all of your lessons, even your off-color ones, handy. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. So glad we got to bring that up. Yeah. Uh, there are just a few cards I want to point out, which I think are like real pillars of the format and cards that you should just pick really highly. So the first one is the, is it Frost Trickster? Um, CGB's spoiler Promo card. card, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, good that's card. like one of the best commons I've ever Put seen. back in my ear. In draft. <laughs> um, I, I can't see what's going on, but I assume it's amusing. Um, uh, but he made flexi arms and ripped the headphones out of my ears. There you go. Well, <laughs> CGB, the cost of my content. You should, uh, you should feel proud, man. That card is a house. I strongly correlate losing the game with my opponent resolving multiple copies of that card. I mean, I ran multiple copies of Frost Lynx. This one just flies. It's nutso. It's amazing. It's so good. It I would run three amazing. or four. Yeah, I, I would honestly, if someone gave me the option to run a deck in this format that was 17 lands and 23 of those, I would take it in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> so, that You would win the race, for I sure. I think so, I think so, yeah. 
So tag me in that. Uh, tag me in that screenshot. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So yeah. So that card is a house. Um, environmental sciences. Like I said, that card is very very important. I think for playing all of the stuff that you want in the format. Um, yeah, the learn cards just take them more highly than you might uh, think. But both sides really, the learn and the lesson cards. Um, they're worth it. Basically, they're worth the picks. So you know, don't. Don't have that fear of like, oh, I don't know, man. Like, I need cards in my main deck. Like, there are cards are playable in Magic these days. Even the kind of crummy lesson uh, or learn cards are like, yeah, it's, they're probably fine. You can you can throw them in your deck. It's it's not going to be a disaster. There's so much less chaff than there used to be. Like, you know, four to five years ago, like almost everything is playable. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, cards that have really impressed me in Witherbloom are the, uh, the the black green combat trick that gives your creature death touch and like every that card does everything, man. Like your creature survives combat, you gain life, your creature gets death touch. Um, I uh, I have not played it, but I have been wrecked by it once or twice. <laughs> yeah, I learned real quick about multiple blocking against uh, Witherbloom decks. Like that that card is a wrecking for sure. So keep an eye out for that. I also fairly like the uh, the Lifelink Trample Crocodile in Witherbloom. It's a 3-3 three, three for 4. Um, I think that that card is pound for pound an overperformer in the format. It's another common, I think. It synergizes so well. It does everything Witherbloom wants it to do. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, and then, and then again, like in Prismari, um, really look out for those uncommon 7-drop spells. Um, they're just really fantastic. They usually, I mean, you know, seven drops often do kind of slam the door shut when you get a chance to cast them, and uh, I definitely think that's true in this case. Um, yeah, and then Lawhold Excavation, that's kind of a, been a pet card of mine, but again, just a consistent overperformer for me. I also really like that white combat trick that it's a, it's a, a one and a white instant, and it gives a creature plus one plus one and vigilance but you get to storm with it so if you've cast another spell in the turn you get to show copy it. of confidence heck yeah that card is sick that card I not played with or without it yeah it's um and it plays really well with uh <laughs> it's the two drop magecraft creature one and a white two two that gets plus one plus Neonin light scribe no it's the it's the no. it's the common version Oh, I don't know that. It's a common. It's eager. I think it's called like eager first year or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Eager, yep, that's it. So those two are a house in combination. Like that creature gets so large in combat if you have a couple combat tricks to cast with that creature going. I mean with that, yeah. So that creature, that spell, and like another spell, like maybe a one or two drop other uh, combat trick, those just go so well together. Uh, so anyway, those are just those are some of my initial thoughts on like some of the more common cards that you're going to see in the format that I think have have really impressed me so far. So Arjuna, mm-hmm. what college are you? Oh man, I'm def I'm I'm Quandrix all the way, baby. Oh my lord, it's <laughs> rigged. We we both got Quandrix. <laughs> we took the quiz. We both got Quandrix. Oh really? This is now a Quandrix cast. <laughs> Dude, I was always a filthy Simic mage. I was a filthy Simic mage before Simic was good. So, I don't know, man. I just can't resist like anything that puts extra lands onto the battlefield and 
mopes about. That's another sick card, by the way, the turtle. Oh my god, the turtle is so good. Uh, Quandrix Cultivator. Yeah. I just like your accent when you say turtle. <laughs> there you go. We gotta talk. We gotta like turtle. somehow maneuver him into into turtle every single cast now. All right. I'm just gonna be like, what was your what was the the best card in Quandrix for me again? What is your favorite three four for four creature in Quandrix? Welcome He's to the, say. the turtle cast. With CGB and Arjuna. Yes, indeed. Awesome. Yep. Okay, well, I think that's going to wrap things up here. Um, CGB, do you want to take us on home? I'm going to do my absolute best. Of course, I follow in the footsteps of the great Arjuna Perkins, who is a wonderful host, but I will try to fill in. So thank you very much for listening to or watching the Arena Craft Podcast. You can find us in all kinds of podcast locations like Covert Go Blue's YouTube channel for the video version. Thank you to Bottle Brush for the sick edits over there. You can find us audio version on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And if you want an even more in-depth list, go to our site, arenacraftpodcast.com. You can also join our Discord. If you're on YouTube, hit the link below or check the show notes and find a lot of cool people talking about a lot of cool magic stuff. A lot of podcast fans. Arjuna is very active in there. It's a, it's, it's a sweet Discord. It's a great community of what we call the crafties. So... Uh, MTG Nurgo, thank you for being our guest star today. Let people know where they can find you quickly, please. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. So you guys can find me on Twitch and YouTube and, I guess, Twitter uh, under MTG Nerd Girl. No spaces, exactly how you would think it would be spelled. And Arjuna, any final words for the fans? Just go out there, crush some limited, and do the crafties proud. Arjuna out. We will see you next week. Later, crafties. <laughs>